How are you doing this morning, Dave? Very well. I'm even better after coming out with that Dave Matthews song. Oh. That is a spectacular way to wake up after a late <laughs> night and a very snowy drive home here and uh, in the emotions of the weekend for Ottawa Senators fans. Yes, mostly not very good ones, <laughs> Dave. Well, we talked about meaningful games, and with that comes a price because I've always maintained that the importance of days between games and time off between playoff games is an instrumental part of learning because if you lose, it is so painful. And if you win, you can't let the emotion of it take over. And I think of coming out a week ago today, I was sitting in Chicago and doing this show and in a room that had arcade games, by the way, we never even got into this, guys. I had arcade games in my hotel room in Chicago, like what? major arcade. Yes, major arcade games like Pac-Man. Wow. I had um, I had a, a pinball machine. I had uh, Space Invaders, like full big games. Anyway, I digress. Um, just maybe that was why I was on a high, not a five nothing for the sense for the sense record. But that is a part of it. It's a part of a young team learning. And, and then the deflation of Chicago, the reinflation of Seattle, and then a tough weekend in Vancouver and Calgary. And, and you're, you're watching a team that just doesn't know how to get past that yet and hasn't, hasn't learned how to handle the time between as effectively. And you thought they did with the day off going into Seattle. But that's the pain, and, and that's part of it. And as painful as it is, Believe me, it's a part of the emotion of getting better. What's wrong with the power play? <laughs> boy, oh boy. Um, it, it is now feeding on itself. So it becomes self-fulfilling now. And when you get a power play now, there's a tiny sense of dread, not a sense of we're going to get out of this. There just is. It's almost like what can go wrong. And when we were clipping stuff last night, it was just, it was take your pick. And, and a lot of the picks weren't, oh, wow, that was a huge save. They just weren't. It was, okay, you're making a pass you can't make there, and the other team is is reading you like a primary reader right now. And this is a team that clicked it around at points in the power play. I, I believe second was the highest they got for a short period of time in terms of league ranking. And we watched it just in amazement. It was like you had too many pieces. We were discussing who else could go on it, but we had – it was going so well that you weren't going to change it. Um, I go back to simple and I load up and fire the puck at the net and talk about puck retrieval instead of, you know, and what we're getting a lot of now is, is blind passes across the slot, like the bullet pass that's going across blindly and it's just not working right now. So I go right back to basics. I'd load up a couple of shooters. Then I know Chikrin and Shabbat got to the same power play last night. Um, I'd have Chikrin on the half ball at points. I'd move him around up top to see where that shot is coming from. And I'd say to the rest of the group, you don't get to stand in one place. You go retrieve the puck and we're going to do it again. It may become a moot point, uh, given the fact that Thomas Shabbat had to leave the game in the third period with a foot injury. There was no update uh, after the game. Uh, so we'll find out whether he's uh, good to go tomorrow night in Edmonton or not. Um, as you can imagine, uh, Dave, I mean, you pointed out uh, in, in one of your highlight packs last night uh, some of the issues that Thomas Shabbat is having, and he is uh, not a popular player amongst uh, some in the fan base right now. Um has it reached a stage where you think he's getting in the way of himself in terms of what's going on between his ears as well? Yeah, I think he's deep into it right now. And I think part of it is, is, you know, where exactly do I fit? And that's fine. And he's a very good player and he's going to get back to where he was at his best. 
And so the convincing now, JR, is that this is better for him, not worse. It's not, you know, it's going to put him in a better place if Chikrin and, in fact, Sanderson absorb some of the minutes, both from a defensive matchup standpoint and how they're matched up against defensively. So what they draw in terms of attention. And there's room for the three of them. I, I actually did a highlight pack last night on Brandstrom on doing some of the simple things because that's what he's going to have to do to stay in that mix, correct? Because there's three big left shots ahead of him. And so, you know, I, I think there's a sorting out process that goes with this. I really do. And some of it, and hey, there's a little bit of ego involved here and there's a little bit of, of you know, his turf. And that's fine. That's totally fine because I think there's lots of room for all three of them. And if used effectively, and that would be two of them playing together in some fashion, it can, it can be a good makeup. How difficult is it in basically game 60, Pooley, to, to reset chemistry or to find chemistry, but to reset your role in your minutes? Well, I think that's, that's, that's continued part of the process. And resetting the role in the minutes is part of acquiring another player. And that just comes with it. Similar, the, the defense wasn't good enough before Chikrin was acquired, and it quite frankly hasn't been good enough since he's been acquired. And you still have to figure out what the makeup is and how those minutes are dispersed. Minutes aren't given away freely. And because, you know, at one point, you know, Thomas Shabbat would have been the second highest in the league or 27, maybe the highest in the league at some points earlier in the year, that's too many. It's flat out too many. And, you know, so when you talk about that and then you talk about the team and its success rate, um, you know, you're looking at this final stretch and you're saying, okay, realistically, you know, what do you have to go down this stretch? You have to go 12-4-1. and one. Is that fair? Like, that would that would give you mid-90s points. That would give you a fair shot. And you'd say, well, this team can't go 12-4-1. and one. And I would say, well, this team just went 13-4-1. and one. And, you know, can we build the emotion back up? And, and Thomas Shabbat would have to be a big part of it. We don't know what the injury is, but we have to be a big part of it. And say, you guys just went 13-4-1. You can go 12-4-1, but you've got to go 1-0. That's what you've got to do to start with. And I think I think everybody got ahead of themselves last Monday. I, I just do. It was hard not to. Five wins in a row. And it was, the, I think, the out of those games, you would argue that that New York was the biggest single game. But that Detroit series for this team, guys, was for the fan base, for probably for management, was enormous because of the way they handled Detroit. And so now it's getting back to that. And yes, Thomas Shabbat, you've got to be a big part of it. When you watch one team all the time, the fan base, anytime a goal is scored, you know, everyone's very critical, Pooley. Uh, from a sense perspective, do you see them differently than other teams in the sense of there just still appears to be so much confusion as to who is supposed to be where in the defensive zone and, and probably more off the rush where this does not appear that everybody's on the same page? When they're going poorly, that's exactly how it appears. But it does appear like that for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, and I do do different teams. Yeah. And believe me, the criticism that Toronto takes <laughs> when they play a poor game is staggering, guys. It's <laughs> unbelievable the, the, uh, what they take when they lose uh, you know, a game. And, and right now, that's not the case in Montreal. Montreal is a strangely happy place right now. It just is because... Because if I'm correct, I'd have to look. But I, I, I was thinking when I looked that I thought if Arizona won last night that they'd be ahead of Montreal in the standings. Um, I could do that real they quick. Are, but, they um, are. Yeah, they're a point up. Which is staggering. But if you look at that bottom group, I was in Chicago last week, and I commented on the happiness there. 
you know, with Luke Richardson and everything else. And Arizona, that's a happy place right now in Mullet <laughs> Arena. I mean, like, how are these teams happy? They're in the bottom five of the league, and they're happy. And But they are. And and so it's not it's not the case in Montreal right now, but it is in Winnipeg, guys. I mean, you know, I, I follow that market closely as well and do some work out there. And, and man, oh, man, you know, they went, they were second in the league in goals against, and, and they were taking abuse for, for defensive structure and anything else people could lean on when they went through that little losing blip. Mm. Um, because the Sens are playing Edmonton uh, tomorrow night, uh, that Edmonton Leaf game on Saturday night, I mean, just the, the hype and the build-up to that, and then uh, the way the game plays itself out, Edmonton gets the lead, and the Leafs just storm back in the uh, second period and get the three in a row and eventually win 7-4. to Simmer's been raving about Mitch Marner's game uh, on uh, on Saturday. What, uh, what do you think about uh, the state of, of Mitch Marner in particular right now? It's all around, and I think the the willingness and the ability to play on the defensive side of it for him, I think he enjoys it immensely. I think he enjoys stealing pucks. And, you know, he would have been a, a kid growing up um, who was so elite that he had the puck a lot, but also not one of the big guys. And so, you know, similar to a Mark Stone had to steal the puck because he wasn't a great skater, as he once told me. And I'd say Marner probably would have had to steal it because he was a little guy and, you know, it wasn't gifted to him. But, Boy, oh boy, he can turn a game. And that game at 3-1 is all Edmonton, guys. And that's going the other way. And he picks it up. And even if he had done that on the road, it may not have had the same factor. But the buildup in that building, when Connor McDavid comes in, and I've been in the building when Connor McDavid's in the building, and it's just a buzz. And, you know, and it's, they want to make direct comparisons. They want their guy to be better than the other guy and all those things. And so that was happening, and but it was Connor McDavid. I think he had just scored the three-one goal, and Marner turned that game around. And he did it in a home building where the where the building could take over, and then the building did take over, and they got the momentum going. And I think you know a little bit of that was was Young Skinner and Net, but it was it was Mitch Marner, and he effectively stole the puck on two of those goals, not just the second one, but the third goal to set up that one or the fourth one. I mean, he he was really good. And he, he, if it's possible, guys, he's quietly been the first team all-star right winger in the last two years. Like, is that possible to use those words together quietly? <laughs> and, but he has, right? Like you could, you could arguably, I'm thinking win a lot of bets with that question, you know, to a, to a fairly high level hockey fan. And if you asked who the first team all-star right winger was the last two years in the national hockey league, I'm not thinking a lot of people are saying Mitch Marner. Because it, has been. Yeah, because everybody hates the Leafs outside of Toronto and because of Matthews and even <laughs> Tavares' belief, do you, do you think he gets enough respect? Like, it's almost at times when Pasternak was coming out in Boston, you know, just certain markets where, you know, do people realize the point totals he's putting up, you know, with uh, with Matthews having just an okay year? That's a fair question. It really is a fair question. It still defers to Matthews first, and then it defers sometimes sideways to to the mercurial Nylander because of the way Nylander does it, and, you know, and it's not quite as nonchalant as it was with the helmet sitting back on the head. There's still a, an air about Willie that says, yeah, you know, I'm not that worried about this. <laughs> the nonchalance, the beauty of nonchalance and non-worry, which he, you know, handles beautifully, Willie Nylander. And then Tavares is the working man's guy who chose to come to Toronto. He didn't get drafted by Toronto. He chose to come here. So he 
holds a special place, you know, in people's hearts. And and so Marner probably, that's a fair question. I don't know that he does get the ultimate respect he deserves as a two-way hockey player. And when you get any conversation at all, when his name is brought up on the defensive side of things, because he does, is an excellent penalty killer, you'll immediately get, well, you're taking that route because he's not going to win the Hart or the Art Ross or the or the Rocket because the guy on his line is going to win it. So now you're just looking for an award to give him. I don't think that's the case, but that's the argument you'd get. When we talked to you on Friday, there were uh, rumblings that something was going to be going down in Philly. And indeed, <clears throat> after we hung up with you, uh, we found out about the change. And uh, Daniel Briere is the interim general manager of the Flyers and had his first comments yesterday and uh, kind of said what I think everybody was sort of hoping that he would say, as in there is not going to be a short-term solution here. This is going to take uh, some time, but also touched upon the fact that they do have some good players there, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you're a flyer guy through and through. That's where you started and played a, a lot of your career. Um, do you think, A, that Daniel Briere will be um, ultimately the long-term general manager of the Flyers? And what kind of a job do you think uh, that he might be able to do? It appears he will be long-term, and they put him in that place for a reason. They brought him in, you know, and he went through a couple of different interview processes. He went through one in Arizona, I believe, and then he went through the one in Montreal. And, you know, it's easy to say when you don't get a job that you were a finalist. They, they're calling him a finalist in Montreal. And um, and then they put him, they moved him from Maine to Philadelphia to be closer to the scene. So I think he, he certainly has an inside track at that. But it appears that the that the organization is going to be revamped in, in some manner. And I did talk to a couple of people over there in the weekend. In fact, I exchanged notes with Danny as well, who who I've got to know a little bit over the last couple of years. And he is, he's a hockey guy. Like he is a purist in the love of hockey. He really is. And just absolutely loves the game. Thinks it very well. Um, he's a, he's a bright, bright guy. And so it, I think he's going to get now there's, it's not like he's getting a chance to really do it because you can't really do anything now before the end of the year. But I think this is a good reset for them. You know, it's funny because I'm thinking about it. And I mentioned earlier on this on this show, the Happy Club, well, almost just with one statement, he's allowing Philly fans to join the Happy Club, like and say, okay, it's okay, you know. <laughs> and you know, I, and and I think of, of the teams that I talked about earlier, and there's some teams that I'm not quite sure have joined it yet. Like I don't know what's going on in Anaheim, but but Chicago is in that club, and Montreal's in that club, and now having a shot at Connor Bedard might put you in that club automatically. And if a team does in fact, you know, win the right to have that player on their team and Philadelphia's in that mix too. So um, it, it was, the brewing was that change was going to happen. How much change will be the question guys? Will it get to a level where, you know, he's, he's embraced the word, some sort of rebuild, but what does that mean? And, and that's all still to be determined. In Phoenix, Breer broke in under Shoney. And of course, Tortorella was an assistant coach. Uh, how much of a, a factor is Tortorella, not only in maybe the power he holds, but the type of coach that maybe the general manager, if it's Breer or anybody else, would be uh, inheriting? It's going to be a conversation. There's no question about it, Zimmer. And, you know, I think he has three years left on a significant deal. And, and AV would have two more left, right? Uh, they must be going. They there must there be going be close. Somebody to, else in there. Okay, but they must be close. They must be uh, close to ten million dollars in in coaches' uh, salary, right? Yeah, they they might be. We might be missing somebody too. I don't. Yeah. I don't even know. But um, yes, 
And, you know, and I, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. I don't think they know the answer to that because the relationship between Briere and Tortorella automatically changes on Friday morning. Mm-hmm. Like it just does, right? He's his boss now. I mean, he's not a guy sitting off to the side, you know, as a consultant to, to Chuck Fletcher. He's his boss. And that I don't care what you say when that dynamic changes and you slide that one name plate out on the door if they still do that and slide the new name plate in. Um, I like doing that, actually. I think that's cool. But uh, I don't know if if they still do that. As long as your name is the one going on. (laughs) Well, and you put a little tape on the back of it, Simmers, you slide it in. So it's really hard to get out. It's a little trick. And you put a little tape or a little crazy glue on that name plate when you slide it in. But if that is the case, then that dynamic changes. Like, it flat out changes. And, you know, even the the way conversations start, everything else. Now, Torx may be in a position where he says, no, it doesn't change. I'm not going to change for anybody or anything. I don't know that, you know. I don't know Torx well enough. I know him to, to say hi, but I don't know him well enough. He doesn't seem that. overly stubborn, so I'm sure he'd be up to any, <laughs> any change. <laughs> Does he want to join the Happy Club? That's uh, what I'm asking you. There you go. It doesn't appear to be the captain of the Happy Club. Uh, <laughs> Philly lost to Pittsburgh on Saturday, 5-1, uh, to one, and the Penguins won again yesterday over the Rangers in overtime. Does it feel, as we kind of reflect or, or look back upon Ottawa on the wild card and everything, does it kind of have the feel that uh, Pittsburgh's kind of putting their stamp on one of those two wild card spots now? I think they are. I'm not as sure about the second one. I'm not as sure about the Islanders. And that was a team, even when they were ahead of Pittsburgh, that was the team that I had targeted is that someone had to take out if they were taking a team out of the East, that it would have to be the Islanders, that it wouldn't be Pittsburgh, that there was just too much pedigree in the Pittsburgh room. And if they got any goaltending at all, and I believe they are getting, you know, a trace of that now, but they've been good. They've only lost two in regulation in their last 10 and they've been good. And, and I think there's enough there to keep them in it. I'm not sure about the Islanders. That's I'm not, uh, they've played more games than anybody else, but I'm just not sure about them. Florida appears to be making noise. Now, every time you think Washington's out of it, they win a game and, and Ottawa's right there with those two teams. So, um, you, you have to win your next game and build that momentum back and get back on a roll. But is it doable? Of course it's doable until it's not. Uh, a little credit in Washington for switching out the furniture and the impact that Sandine's had. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would speak to Washington. I would speak to Nashville. Talk about moving furniture out, Simmer. I mean, you moved Genoa out, a young guy. You moved your, your, you know, your best defensive defenseman in Ekholm, and you moved Granlund out, and you don't have Johansson. But you did make a move there that's very significant, and his name is Barry Trotz. And, you know, and I, I didn't think that, that Barry was taking over, but I think he's, he's involved, and like, till the end of the year. But I think he's involved, and, and you think of that team now, and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they had it points percentage-wise. Now they're right there in points as well with games in hand, three games in hand on Calgary. So you talk about Calgary. It's Nashville that's the team that, that's making noise out west. Mm, good stuff. All right. Appreciate your time as always. No, it was a short night for you uh, as well. So I'll let you uh, let you go back to your uh, Dave Matthews uh, CDs and uh, throw those on. <laughs> Feel good going into your Monday. And uh, we'll chat again. Uh, I think you're back with us on Thursday, correct? I am. Yeah, I'm heading. Uh, I've got a flight on Wednesday morning, so we're going to rearrange till Thursday. So I think you'll get MJ on Wednesday. All right. Sounds good. We'll chat then. Thanks for the time. Have a great day, gentlemen.